0: Hi, dear listeners, this is Kate Riga. I'm here to make a quick pitch that you consider becoming a TPM Prime member. TPM has used the subscriber model for over a decade now, and our loyal members are the only reason we've been able to weather the turbulence of the media landscape and avoid the fate that has befallen so many other independent outlets. For $60 a year, you get no paywall, fewer ads, access to the Hive member forum, a members-only newsletter, and more. For $120 a year, you get all of that, plus no ads at all. Without our members, there is no podcast, not to mention that I am out of a job. Thank you so much for listening and supporting us. We couldn't do it without you. Thank
1: Josh Marshall Podcast with Kate Riga. We had, as you've seen, this series finale of Caucus, the new streaming episode that we were so into. You've seen it now. You've got this guy, Mike Johnson, who's the new speaker of the house. And it's pretty wild because sort of like Denny Hastert had this kind of like kids table position in the leadership, but not really like in the leadership in the sense that you know, people usually talk about it, never chaired a committee, or I think even a subcommittee. So pretty, pretty new on the block uh, guy. And now he's the Speaker of the House. And as we talked about in uh, some of the recent episodes, you know, one of the big things the Speaker does, Speaker raises money. That is almost a central role of of the modern speakership. And this guy's basically raised no money at all. Again, he's not in the leadership. He's not a big committee chair, something, uh, uh, something like that. Now we're going to get into all of this speaker drama, a lot that we've had even since our delayed last week episode. But there's one thing before we get to Kate, who's who's been up there and, 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 and covering this in person over the last three weeks. Yesterday, when it became clear that this guy was going to be able to do what none of the others had been able to do, which was to get every single Republican there to vote yes. You know, once, once they had the magic, it just happened, right? They, 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 they brought it together. Now, this guy is, I think it's fair to say, he's just as conservative as like Jim Jordan or any of those Freedom Caucus types, but he's much more genial. He's got a, he's got a much softer package. And I think what we saw is that was what got them over the hump, right? He, he was, he was someone, the Freedom Caucus guys, the Crazy Eight, whatever they could embrace. But, you know, the so-called moderates, he didn't seem scary, like Jim Jordan. Scary in the sense of like, who am I going to have to run with back in my district, back in my, back in my, in, in, in my swing district. So anyway, uh, Johnson, extremely conservative and extremely conservative on the, I don't know what you'd call them. The, the core social issues for lack of a better word, even though social issues is always sort of, you know, how do we come up with that word? But, you know, prayer in school, abortion, contraception. Whether you and your, and your, uh, you know, same sex spouse can get a cake, that kind of stuff, right? That whole thing. So I noticed in, in, there was a New York times write up and it said, and he co-hosts a podcast with his wife. And I thought, oh, okay. (laughs) I'm sure everybody's going to be listening to that podcast because it's a podcast, how they describe it. It's a podcast about religion, but like. I doubt it's about theology, exactly. And it's about, it's what you'd expect. It's about banning abortion. It's about, um, you know, religious freedom for bakers and uh, website creators and stuff like this. And this guy, before he was elected to Congress, he worked for one of the big religious freedom activist groups. He was one of the lawyers who, you know, goes to court about for the bakery where they don't want to make the cake for the gay couple, that kind of stuff. So, I kind of couldn't resist. And I listened to a couple episodes of the podcast and there are, I think a bit under a hundred episodes of this podcast. And it actually only goes back to like early 2022. So it's not like there's 10 years of these things and you can see everything over that period. And the two I picked out were the one right after Dobbs, you know, two days after Dobbs, something like that. And another one that was actually only maybe a couple episodes after that, that was called The Real Story of January 6th. Okay. So, and what what's very interesting here, first of all, you listen to this podcast and it it there's a strong 700 Club vibe. I don't know how much I'm, am I dating myself with, with that, Kate? Do you, is that probably,
0: but I know what it is.
1: Okay. Yeah. So it's not, it's not as it's, I think it, I think it, maybe it's still, I don't know, but it definitely has just that vibe. And, uh, I don't know how to put it exactly. If you were of a mind to have a stereotypical vision of Johnson's wife as a kind of Stepford wife, you know, kind of constantly smiley, that kind of, that kind of scene, the way she presents in the podcast is going to is going to help you stereotype her in that way it is definitely mike johnson yada 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 and yada and yada and the wife yes that is so true absolutely. It, it you know it's that kind of thing but but what was very striking to me i was how can i put it exactly it is he's very smooth He's very smooth. I saw some people saying that, um, you know, before he got into the speaker business, people were saying, you know, this guy could be in media. He's He's got a great presentation. And he does. Very, very smooth. On the January 6th thing, on that episode, you know, I didn't know if it was going to be, you know, me and Billy Bob when we took the flagpole and beat the one guy over the head with it. Not at all. Over and over, the violence that happened was terrible, shamed our country. Um, you know, none of this stuff, but now they're being abused in the D.C. jails and all that. Nothing. None of that. That had nothing to do with us. We were doing, you know, explains what, if you weren't familiar with the, um, the independent legislature theory, if you are not familiar with this, he explains it in a way that is just open and shut constitution that's no one disagrees with this only the legislature can do it um they weren't trying to overthrow the election there was just this important constitutional issue they were bringing up uh you know no one was more surprised by them all those violent people the point is in both of these and and on the abortion one i was listening in thinking like all right he's gonna say like and now tomorrow we're passing a national abortion ban say goodbye to your abortions we're coming for you no didn't have that. It was all, I mean, plenty of stuff. If you are of a mind to, to find the whole thing really, um, shocking and gross and offensive, whatever. There's one point we talks about, you know, if you are under 50, think about your high school class. A third of your high school class was not there because they were aborted, you know, kind of like, okay, all right. I see what we're I see where we're coming from here. I see what you're about, um, but there was no like tomorrow. We're banning it nationwide. It was like you know we gotta, we have to, um, we have to, you know, be be compassionate towards the women. There's a lot of women out there who've done some very bad things in their past, and we need to be forgiving and not condemning them. And there's men out there, they performed abortions. We need to open our open our arms to them in forgiveness you know that's that's what both of these episodes were like so what i came now i have no doubt that there is a a whole battalion of democratic oppo researchers out there listening to every episode of that of of that podcast and um there's so much else out there and there's all sorts of you know i've seen you maybe you've seen videos now uh him like talking about that we live in a biblical Republic and there's another one out there saying, uh, I don't know if you, you've seen this one, Kate, basically saying that if, if it weren't for abortion, we wouldn't have to cut social security. We have to cut social security. Cause, cause women there's, you know, they, they're, they're having a baby and they abort it and we need more workers and women are shirking their, you know, abortion women are shirking their responsibility to have a lot of babies so, like, you know, if, if you wouldn't do all this abortion stuff, we wouldn't have to cut your Social Security. Why are you making us do that? So, there's a lot to work with out there. But he's also, again, in this podcast, he's smooth, very smooth. There's, uh, you know, there's, there's sort of, he's not Jim Jordan, absolutely not Jim Jordan. And I think, I suspect that's what these, you know, so called moderates, that's what got, you know, what got them on board. He's smooth. As, as Kate said, I think in the last episode, Jim Jordan's brand is being an asshole. No one would deny that. His biggest fans embrace that. This is a different guy, but it's also true he is on the most extreme right on Christianity defining public life. There's no other way to put it. So, let's get into the let's get into the whole story, Kate. How did this how did we get how did we end up with this with this final, uh, final choice.
0: It's funny because I, you know, these debates are often portrayed in these like kind of highfalutin ways. But in the end, the human factors always have a huge part to play, whether that be, you know, it's a Friday and members want to leave and go home. Or in this case, we've been doing super long hours every day for three weeks and everyone's exhausted and there's like no clear way out, you know? And so all of a sudden, this guy, Mike Johnson, who is low level enough and like you said, genial, affable enough to not really piss a lot of people off all of a sudden has a lot of promise. And that's coupled with the reality that this was never a policy fight or really tied to any ideological anything. It was mostly kind of Matt Gates wanting to flex his power. And then the, you know, the Nancy Maces, the the hangers on of that um, kind of joined in to oust McCarthy. And then when Scalise was offered up, uh, these people still kind of high on their own supply were like, no, 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 no. We deposed. We are going to pick our chosen candidate. Our chosen candidate is Jim Jordan. And then the next episode there were the kind of Biden district frontliners from whom, in all honesty, you know, we've seen very little spine throughout developed some and said, no, we're not, we're not voting for Jim Jordan. And then we had what I think is probably and, the most. And a,
1: and a few, if I can say, who are not in Biden districts, a few who are in Republican districts who are just like, No way.
0: You can kind of, I think, call them more of like, you had the squishy moderates and then you had like these old bulls who had been in Congress for a while and were just kind of like, Fuck him! No, we're not. You know he's annoying. I mean, he's a gadfly to everyone, right? And so, and then you had the next episode, which I actually think is the most chilling of them all, and I think we should, um, you know, unpack in this episode. But that is when Tom Emmer emerged as the the new option, who's you know white of hair and the majority whip, and like has actually been around for a while. Is more of a traditional um, leadership guy. Was one of two of the eight candidates at this stage who had voted to certify the election. I mean, you know, the closest thing that we have to kind of ye old Republicans left embodied in this guy, that lasted for all of four hours. And as time has elapsed, it's become more and more clear that it was his vote to certify that was his undoing, which is, you know... You can see this as kind of funny or dysfunctional or embarrassing for Republicans, and it is all those things. But I think there's a very, very dark undercurrent to it all that kind of came to a head in that chapter of this speakership fight i'm glad i'm
1: glad you said that because i had a few people a few people said to me yesterday well it's not just that it's also uh it a lot of people were saying it's it's his it's his opposition to you know the 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 federalizing gay marriage that that law they passed a couple years ago but when i looked i only saw one represent i only saw one member of the caucus who said that was his reason. And, and yep. what you said, j- certainly the perception that I had that it was, yeah, that was the thing. That was the, the litmus test that he failed to to uh, pass.
0: For sure. And then while he was kind of already at this point, point probably um, bleeding out, you know, not not really a viable candidate, then Trump takes that moment to just kind of twist the knife and do the whole, you know, rhino treatment and, and put him to bed. And then we were in this just weird vacuum. You know, the same one that we've been in where the question is, okay, we are deep into the bullpen, right? Like the starting pitchers have been retired and now you're casting about for some fifth string dude to get to 217 that no one's been able to do. And at that point. You've, gone, you've cycled through the big personalities. You've cycled through kind of all the obvious era apparent in terms of the leadership hierarchy. So all you have left is someone who's white bread enough to and who hasn't had any positions of power where you kind of need to piss people off as part of the job who could climb the ladder. And so they just kind of ram through Johnson really quickly, managed to stave off the defections. And then all of a sudden new speaker. Right. And and I have to say, I mean, yesterday was, it was kind of crazy. Like.
1: Was that Tuesday night where they did the late night?
0: Tuesday night. Right. And then Wednesday was the floor vote. That's right.
1: Right. Okay. Yeah.
0: (laughs) And so on Wednesday. Right. And so yesterday, oh my God, the exuberance from Republicans who had basically just managed to like write their name on the SAT. Right. It's like the most (laughs) basic entry level thing, but joyful, joyful. And when They're like marching high-
1: out on the Capitol steps.
0: Yeah, I mean doing
1: like flexing every every muscle.
0: Big press conferences, everyone taking selfies with him and wanting to shake his hand. Um and so in a way, I mean, I guess you understand from the perspective of like, you've got a group project to turn in and it's been <laughs> hell and one guy hasn't shown up and another guy, you know, handed in the wrong thing and you finally get it all together and you submit it to the teacher and it's still kind of a train wreck, but like, okay, you did it, right? It's done, yeah. right? It's over. There, there's that sense, but it's just, immediately it just bubbles up that like so many of these dynamics are exactly the same you have from the angle of for Democrats when kind of Jim Jordan seemed like he was kind of gaining power and and it might be him there was a palpable fury for sure because Democrats hate him and are so so angry from the 2020 stuff but also a sense of like shocked giddiness almost of like are you guys really going to do something politically this stupid? You know, pin your whole party to one of its most well known radioactive members who lets Democrats. Use the exact same campaign that they used in 2022, which like gave them this huge, big, unexpected midterm victory, which is he's an election denier and he's an anti-abortion absolutist. And then you've got Mike Johnson, who definitely doesn't have the same knee-jerk reaction from people as Jordan, just because people don't know him yet. But in some ways, that's kind of helpful, too, because you've got this blank, undefined slate who Democrats unanimously are kind of going out into the world and being like, uh, this guy spearheaded the legal effort to overturn the election. And also he's an anti-abortion absolutist. And also he doesn't like gay marriage. So it's just kind of the perfect package of everything that's easy to communicate, you know, that's visceral, that makes the Republican Party seem both on its authoritarian slide and with the social sensibilities of like the 1950s it's like all that wrapped in a in a package and since everyone is learning about this guy at the same time it just lets that become the defining personality traits about him because what are republicans going to counter what they can't be like this is a a workhorse with an incredible legislative record it's like I mean he's been like a vice chair on one committee I mean he's gotten no profile to speak of he's just kind of a backbencher from Louisiana and like so far all that Republicans have really been able to counter with are shinier versions of he's nice like people like him he smiles a lot he's easy to get along with which you know kind like, of pain. okay. paved his way to leadership. But that's not exactly a very compelling political argument when put up against, you know, he's like a psycho Christian who doesn't think Joe Biden won the election.
1: Yeah. I mean, it's, you know, just to kind of place ourselves here, um, Johnson entered Congress uh, January 2017. Mm -hmm. So, you know, uh, a few days before Trump's presidency started. So that's pretty new. You know, uh, as as we know, legislative leadership doesn't go by true seniority. Often you'll have someone, oh, it's, you know, in the Senate it happens even more often. You know, been here for a decade, 15 years and leader. But still, that's pretty, pretty new. You know, the the one thing about Jordan is you also had this molestation scandal, mm-hmm. which was just going to dog him. And i I certainly was feeling like are they like are they really going to do this this is this is going to be so bad for them and, and just like kind of uh, amazed and although that as as you make clear Kate that really was not what did him in what did him in was the additional fact that people don't like him they don't like him and and the fact that he was going to be a, a sort of an albatross uh for them in many districts around the country made people skittish. But you can tell when he was having those, you know, what is it that that famous Jim Carrey meme? You know, so you think it's possible, right? When someone (laughs) says, absolutely not. You're like, you mean maybe. And so when, when Jordan was having those meetings with the holdouts, after they've told him no three times, he's like, okay, let me try this idea. And they're like, dude, no. That kind of intransigence I think was anchored by like, we don't like you. We don't trust you. And you're an asshole. And and like, so any any idea that, you know, despite the fact we don't agree on politics, you're not gonna do something crazy that's gonna kind of kill me in my district. There's that mix of trust, assholdom. All those kind of things that it that it was a that it was a no go. And I will say, I I do think that even even to this point, I've just seen a lot of stuff with 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 Johnson that it just got thirty second ads written all over it.
0: Oh yeah, just to your point of the Jordan versus Johnson thing being like definitely pretty personality-based is I caught a lot of these Republican frontliners on their way out um, on Wednesday, you know, so after Johnson was the new speaker. And while they had been somewhat careful to not really give explicit reasons why they didn't want Jordan, like, you know, I remember I was talking to um, Carlos Jimenez, uh, who's kind of, who's a, a new member from Florida and was one of the Jordan holdouts a few days ago. And we were, You know, there are a bunch of us and we're all asking questions and we're like, well, why, why do you not want Jordan, you know? And then he talked about the threats and the pressure campaign from Jordan's mobilization of the right wing media engine, which is like, well, that only started, you know, kind of a couple days into Jordan as potential candidate. You opposed him from the beginning. It's pretty clear that's not the real reason. Um, And then so when I caught the hardliners yesterday and, you know, we were talking about you're in a very vulnerable district. This is a guy who's the first two things people know about him are his January or his election denial and his anti-abortion thing. Are you are you worried about being tarred with that brush kind of thing? And they were like, well, you know, he wasn't speaker then. Or I- I'm my own person or oh, that stupid, annoying quote that New York congressional people love to say the, you know, agree with me nine out of 12 times support me, agree with me 12 out of 12 times, you know, seek help or whatever the old uh, quote is. But it just became really clear. Like, there's no ideological explanation that would satisfy you in any way if your objection with Jordan was policy based. It's not like he's passed any laws either. You know, he's been, he's a, he's a show pony and not a workhorse. And and Mike Johnson just kind of like a backbencher. They have a a similar kind of scant record and their big political inflection points are the same. Um, It's just that Johnson is nicer and that's kind of really comes to a head in Ken Buck, who was the weirdest figure throughout all of this, like a, a super hard right guy, uh, you know, very MAGA heavy up until this point.
1: One of the crazy eight.
0: Exactly. And then when Jordan came up, he was like, nah, he uh, is an election denier. And I find that unacceptable. And everyone was like, you do like (laughs) since when, you know, what did where did that come from? And then kind of birthed this flurry of think pieces of in the new Republican Party, like there will be unlikely heroes and all that kind of thing. And then this guy comes up who, I mean, definitely did as much to overturn the election as Jordan did. He just did it, you know, via an amicus brief versus like whispering in Trump's ear. And Buck is like, well, he went through the court. So that's entirely different. And now he has my full and vocal support. I mean, it's just like so clear that this was always a matter of personality, because as we kind of touched on last episode, there are no longer policy goals that unite this Republican Party. So, you know, even if these two guys had kind of differentiated significantly on, you know, how to deal with Social Security or the border or whatever, like that is no longer a, a kind of defining force in the Republican Party. So, yeah, I mean, these past three weeks have all just been a game of personality, a game of popularity, a game of like, ambition of power vacuums of the dudes who are not going to let that window pass without like making a, a, you know, making a bid for attention, whether that be Gates with motion to vacate or, you know, the eight gajillion guys who've never heard of before who are like, now I shall run for speaker. You know, it's just, it, that's all that this was. It was so deeply unserious, but, you know, kind of to go back with what we were mentioning with Emmer. I think it taps into something very, very serious, which is if you take a step back and see this project of dethroning McCarthy and everything that's come with it, you know, uh, maybe defaulting on the debt and, and shutting down the government as pros, all of that is part of this bigger picture of an effort to cripple the legislature, to make the legislature kind of a non-functioning appendage, which just better clears the path for the preferred strongman, Donald Trump, to kind of come back in and be a king. You know, and this project has advanced steadily in the, in the past couple decades. And it's not just the legislature, even though that's where I think we're seeing the energy focused right now. And I do think people like Matt Gates would sacrifice their positions in kind of consciously or unconsciously in homage to the greater project of making the legislature completely toothless and dysfunctional. But then meanwhile, that's progressing on the parallel track of putting these crazy right-wing radicals in the judiciary and then making that check wither as well. I mean, all of this is just kind of a scary sliding into the conditions that are perfect for Trump or a Trump like figure to take power, and none of the old you know checks on that are are strong or functioning anymore they're just riven by discord and it, I think it just kind of in the in this bigger picture is an alarming step of that project
1: One other point I wanted to make on on this question of smoothness for Johnson and this is something that I you know, I just hadn't paid a lot of attention to him. I knew he was involved with the Texas lawsuit and all that kind of stuff. But, you know, there's a lot of, you know, tertiary parts of the story that that are just kind of there and you don't know who was pushing what. And and one thing that that was very interesting to me, and it goes to the role that he played, is that as you're as they're looking for people to not certify the election, th- there were a lot of members who felt the pressure not to certify wanted not to certify but a number of them were a little iffy on hanging it on trump's italian satellites were hacking the machines and smartmatic and you know all the, the 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 ladies in georgia and the suitcase all these kind of crazy things and then you have mike johnson come along and go, no 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 no, no. You don't have to do all the any kind of that that weird Twitter meme stuff. I've got this fancy legal thing. It's a constitutional thing. And it says this is totally this is totally legit. And a lot of them are like, oh, okay. You you have a, a fancy constitutional thing. And you're you're a lawyer. So that's that works for me. I can sign on to that. So <laughs> that people like that are very helpful. Right. That you get the sort of the stragglers, the people who are kind of like, yeah, I want to do it. But, you know, Italian government hacked the machine in Georgia. And like, come on, man, like that's that's weird. And then you've got someone, some fancy person come along. Let's do it.
0: Totally. I mean, it's like Federalist Society versus the Kraken. You know, they have the same end goal. It's just one of them is much better at draping itself in the trappings of we went to Harvard and we discussed these things over cocktails and fancy conference rooms and like not sweating out our hair dye in front of Four Seasons landscaping. But that doesn't mean that the ultimate goal of the movements isn't the same thing.
1: And, And often you need you need both types. Right, you need some Kraken types to bring over the MAGA heads who are, you know, uh, uh, driving around their their van in South Florida with all the Trump bumper stickers and sending bombs to people. And then you need a <laughs> Mike Johnson type who's going to bring, you know, bring along the normies who kind of like need a need need permission from a fancy person who uses big words to get right. them over the edge.
0: More of the scintillating content after these messages. Back to the show. So, and now, okay, congrats, Speaker Johnson. Uh, you're in place. You get the big, fun gabble. Honestly, biggest congrats of all to Patrick McHenry, who I think emerged as probably, like, the most likable Republican from all of this because... <laughs> I mean the the way he did the gavel was funny. He's quite small, and that was kind of visually funny. But then he also just had his enduring thing. There were so many points during this where everyone was like, "It's got to be McHenry," and he was like, "No, I'm not doing it. You can't make me." Which is like probably the most sympathetic position throughout.
1: Not jumping for power is so off brand, right? For this Republican Party, that it's almost like he's an honorary non Republican. He's, yeah. almost, he's almost like a never Trump because, right. you know, I not mean, wanting the power.
0: He got the, a bipartisan ovation on the floor yesterday. And that was just because I think he, he, it was its so unusual to see someone not like grasping and sweatily clutching for for the next rung of the ladder. Um, but now, OK, so we've got this speaker. The government runs out of funding November 17th. That's when the CR that cost McCarthy the job runs out. The dynamics are exactly the same as they were, with one exception, which is because the hard right of the party, which are the ones who deposed McCarthy or where those people come from, is so ide- ideologically incoherent and adrift. They're, we're getting some indications from like the Chip Roy's and the Scott Perry's and the hard right MAGA people who kind of love talking to reporters that they're... Indicating that they would be okay with a, another continuing resolution, which their opposition to having one is what, you know, felled McCarthy, because then he had to go to Democrats and, and that's unforgivable. Be- and his only other option then, as in now, is like, okay, well, otherwise you've got to pass 12 appropriations bills in the next week and a half, which is just, you know, not going to happen. Um, so, they're making some noises of, well, this was Kevin's problem. <laughs> Kevin created these conditions. Uh, Mike is just inheriting them. You know, maybe we're okay with the CR, but but not even fully. You know, we're already getting some, but that CR, you know, it shouldn't be a clean CR. It should have like huge funding cuts for the different, you know, the agencies they don't like, the the mostly like domestic spending ones. Um, that would create an enormous problem for Johnson, obviously, the exact same one that McCarthy had. The motion to vacate speaker uh, threshold is still one member. And I caught up with um, one of the best names in Congress, this guy Dusty Johnson, yesterday, who was one of the big kind of we need to change this rule guy after it cost McCarthy his, his job. And I'm, you know, like jogging alongside him saying, Are you going to? where is the motion to vacate? Like, is there momentum about changing the rule? And he said and a quote, I do think the 208 Democrats and eight hardline Republicans that put us into this chaos three weeks ago, both halves of that equation are chastened. I think they understand how disruptive it is. And I think it's a tactic they are a lot less likely to utilize in the future. So he's telling me this, right? I come back to my spot at the bottom of the House steps and there in front of me is like Matt Gates wearing uh, the mirrored aviator glasses with his like wife who kind of came out of nowhere on his arm in front of a you know, a crowd of like 40 journalists just kind of preening and taking all the questions and you're like, chastened? That man (laughs) seems chastened to you. Also, we're staking Johnson's longevity on Matt Gaetz's... Self restraint, you know, that doesn't exactly seem an equa- like an equation for having him in this job for a long time. So, I mean, all the same stuff still exists. And perhaps the first time we'll see this come to a head is going to be the debate between the foreign aides, you know, yeah. like Democrats really, really, you know, deal breaker want Ukraine aid still. Probably majority of Republicans do, even though that's fast fading in the House, at least Senate Republicans are still very much for it. And now you've got Israel aid, which is largely, you know, kind of overwhelmingly universal. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, Something that everyone's, you know, the the horror of and the atrocities are still fresh enough that everyone's saying like, well, obviously we should give them money. So the big, you know, potentially the first test for Johnson, even before you reach November 17th, is going to be. Are Ukraine and Israeli aid tied together, which is what a lot of Democrats obviously want? So Ukraine doesn't get the shaft or is he going to kind of bow to the far right of his party, which is where the, um, you know, the, the kind of being done with Ukraine originates from and separate those? In effect, dooming Ukraine aid, you know, I mean, these are the problems that plagued not just McCarthy, but the same kind of problems that plagued Ryan and Boehner as well. I mean, you're just when you're enthralled to the hard right element of your party, especially with these margins, and especially with some stuff that you've got to pass. It just, it makes the job impossible.
1: And another thing that I just learned overnight is that Johnson himself is very opposed to Ukraine aid and yeah. has been all along. So this isn't something that like, you know, he's, he's on the right of the Republican caucus. So he's sort of atmospheric. I mean, someone like Kevin McCarthy, you kind of knew in his heart of hearts. He's like, yeah, do it, whatever. Uh, you know, we're gonna, we're gonna uh, bleed the Russians. Yeah, great. But like all the other Republicans, he had to say, well, I heard there's some corruption and, you know, we got to take our, all that kind of stuff. But this guy's on board. So it's not even a matter of like bowing to the far right. He is the far right. Right. So 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 there's that. I would imagine. Uh, I mean, I, I will say this. I totally agree with you. Any idea that 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 Matt Gates is is chastened is crazy. However, however, I do imagine that the next time any member of that caucus, you know, breaks that glass, there's going to be such a pile-on of people saying, are you fucking kidding me? You know, are you fucking kidding me? You actually want to do that again? So I, I don't think anybody's chastened, but I do think there's, there's going to be a level of, potentially a level of, of much more um, ferocious playback. But the thing that Johnson is going to do if he's smart, because all of the... If you look at all the, you know, the insider sheets and newsletters and everything, the headline in all of these, I think correctly, is you've got your MAGA speaker. Not a speaker who, like, is going to pretend to be MAGA or is going to do whatever MAGA wants, but a MAGA speaker. You've got him. Okay, so that's right. And you have to imagine he goes to the Chip Roy's and all these people and says, look, we finally, one of us is speaker. You've got to give me some flexibility on this November 17th thing, because if, if the first thing out of the gate, we're, do, we're having a shutdown and whatever, you're going to blow it. And, and so you gotta, you got to work with me here. Um, whether he's going to do that, um, I don't know. Whether they are going to be smart enough, but I mean, it, at, at some level, who am I kidding? MAGA is not about restraint. It's not about giving flexibility. It's a matter of like, we've got the football. Not only are we going to run it down the, uh, you know, run it into the end zone, we're going to say, fuck you and leave the stadium. It's our football now. Bye. Right. <laughs> so I don't know. And, and will tell me this. So, okay. This is something I've been trying to get my head around. The Senate was way ahead on all the appropriation stuff, doing all their stuff. And then Ron Johnson came in, and started, you know, they're kind of on the, on the five yard line and he started making problems. So I guess in theory, they're now behind the house because he was making, but they've done most of the legwork. But now Johnson, yesterday, he was saying, all right, you know, next Monday, we're doing this bill, Tuesday, we're doing, so he, he seems to have this idea, we're actually going to pass all these bills by November 17th. So we're going to come and be able to say, hey, we're good where we don't need more time. Is that is that plausible? What are you hearing about that?
0: Yeah. I mean, I admit that I have spent all my time on the House and not the Senate, but it is my understanding that things are largely back on track in the Senate. Um, I mean, Johnson's opposition was like so stupid that it's one of those positions that's kind of hard to maintain for a long time because it's just like clear he was just trying to kind of be a problem child. Um, and so if those bills do start coming from the Senate, I think, I mean, I still think the House is going to – it has to do a CR. There's just, like, not enough time. Um, You know, they'll have to do their own bills and the reconciliation process. Also, I just – this House is not capable of passing any kind of appropriations bills that the Senate will accept. So, I I think there's almost no question that it's going to be a CR, at least for now. But we talked about this before. Pretty soon, we're inching closer and closer to the time when the teeth – from the debt ceiling legislation kicks in. Um, I mean, it's not till the end of April of next year that the draconian kind of cross the board cuts come in, but there is only so long that they can do CRs. And as we saw with McCarthy, these House Republicans, the MAGA right, Make CRs almost impossible. So maybe they're going to give Johnson a pass for a little bit with a clean CR. You know, maybe they won't force a shutdown right away. But you're going to have a Senate who's passing real bills. And at some point, the House is going to have to kind of take those up and reckon with them and and pass their own version and, and try to reconcile the two. And that's, I think, where the rubber hits the road, because even if you get a pass from these guys on the CRs for a limited amount of time, that goodwill is not going to extend forever. And
1: the new and CR is only going to be to like January 10th or something like that. It's not like it's the going best, to be. Yeah, exactly. Right. It's going to be like another 30-day. So remind me of this. Okay. So the, the, when you talk about uh, the end of April, we're talking about the deal that Kevin McCarthy and Joe Biden struck uh, last spring. And that was that if these budgetary things are not resolved within this agreed upon framework by this time, there are these uh, a- across the board cuts a fair amount of cuts for things that democrats really don't want to see see cut but fairly subs- big cuts on the defense side and the thinking there was always that there's no way the republican senators are going to let this happen and that's our backstop is am i basically that's characterizing right. Mm-hmm. that right yeah so uh I, I guess in terms of like his plan to kind of rush these things through, even though, as you say, just because you have your bills passed doesn't mean it's it's reconciled or an actual budget's passed. But you can it, at some level, they're playing to editorial opinion that that, you know, the, the post editorial page will say, well, these new Republicans, they're doing their work. You can't say they're not. Totally. So you got to give them everything, basically. That, right. that He's playing to
0: that. That's a really good point. They're just the. Right now, they're playing on such a different field where the... the, I mean, I'm so mixing metaphors, but where the bar is so low because the last time they tried to pass a CR, it fell to Speaker, right? Like, it was a huge disaster. So if this time he's able to pass a CR, which under any other context would not be cause for celebration, right? I mean, that's basically Congress like being unable to do its actual job of passing distinct bills and instead just slapping a bandaid on it and and deciding to deal with it later. Um, But right now, especially when all of the narrative has been dysfunction, chaos, embarrassment. I mean, it's a theme we talk about on the show a lot, which is coverage needs to be kinetic to get people to click and read and, and, pour attention and, and dollars into your news outlet. And so what's the next pendulum swing? It's unity. It's a new face on the Republican Party. It's it's Trumpified, but wow, can it govern? You know, which is just all, any degree of that that we get is just bullshit. I mean, essentially it would just be that Johnson is in a honeymoon phase right now. And these guys whose sole driving purpose in their careers is to break the government and and render it totally ineffective are giving him a pass for for a limited amount of time until inevitably one of them decides you know what reporters haven't really been talking to me lately i haven't gotten i haven't done many tv hits lately it's it's time to be a main character again and then there are these like really easy roots to take to become a main character again, especially now that you know Gates has kind of added the the motion of AK to people's playbook. It's not unprecedented anymore. And I, I agree with you. I think that it would bring down like the fury of the gods on them. But once again, I, I kind of redirect our eyes to Matt Gates, who Doesn't is care. hated by most House Republicans. <laughs> like I think if they could kill him with impunity, they would. And w- how did he emerge? I mean, he's a kingmaker in the party now, right? He He's like one of the most important legislators and he's, you know, legislators, quote unquote, and he's been there for like two minutes and all he's really done is like bomb throw.
1: Yeah. We should remind ourselves how the, um, in in terms of like playing to editorial opinion for our listeners, if you remember when we're, when we're going into the shutdown, when we're going into that cliff, going back now, a couple months ago, the, no one, the house was a mess. They couldn't, they wanted to shut down, but they couldn't even they couldn't even do their homework for a shutdown. They couldn't say, okay, here's what we want to do. You want to do something different, mano a mano between you and me, and we're going to have a shutdown. They couldn't even decide what they wanted to do. And so the house was like paralyzed. And then finally, the house passed, and and people didn't think they could do it, but the house passed, not the appropriations bills, just A framework that basically said, we're going to cut a bunch of things, signed Kevin McCarthy. And they passed that. That was about what they did. And when that happened, it was like the clouds parted. And all of the sort of the editorial opinion was like, wow, Joe Biden figured these guys couldn't govern, couldn't get it together. Now Joe Biden needs to come to the table. It's a new day. It was like, it was. They were. It was just a huge coup. I, I, I hesitate to say a huge, a huge, eh, huge coup for these guys since they do real coups. But still, it was <laughs> like a, a huge victory for them just to do kind of nothing, right? So if if they do pass the what is it remaining four appropriations bills, I can't remember how many they've already passed. If they're able to do that, they will get a just a huge. Uh, you know, validation that now everybody's got to kind of come to them because they're doing whatever. So that's a big, that's a big deal. Those things, those things, those things matter. Even if, even if it doesn't get you a budget, doesn't kind of get you back to, you know, actual budgeting that they'll get a lot of credit for that.
0: Totally. And I think, you know, a lot of these Beltway outlets that tend to The right, you know, that kind of tend to be give the most generous read at all times to Republicans have been forced into this uncomfortable posture the, the last few weeks of having to kind of reckon with the brokenness of the Republican Party and its inability to dot the I's and cross the T's on what is a really basic part of their job, like electing a speaker is usually rote and they couldn't do it for three weeks and they were complaining in public and talking about how Democrats would never be in this position. And and that's uncomfortable. And so now there's going to be so much incentive for these people to get to kind of snap back and say, like, well, you know, magic Mike Johnson is on the scene and he is putting things to rights. And turns out that McCarthy was just a doofus and, you know, a a real a real man can do this job. So, I I mean, I think that backlash is almost inevitable. Um, I think there's going to be a kind of frenzied search for divisions within the Democratic caucus to kind of set the narrative back on familiar and and comfortable terrain. Um, But the reality is, Everything that felled McCarthy still exists. And unless Johnson possesses some kind of hidden leadership genius that he was just wrongly kind of goodwill hunted, you know, into the low, the lower echelons of the party. And this is a big moment. I mean, at some point, those things are going to become impossible for him to navigate. And, and right now, the question is really just how long is the honeymoon period that the hard right element is going to give him?
1: I think and and the other th- point you know we we're, we're focused here on can the House Republican caucus govern itself as let alone govern right we're talking about just governing the, governing themselves but the thing that we also need to keep attention on for 2024 is and you you alluded to this earlier Kate the 2022 election really came down to a lot of people beyond people who are just totally nailed down you know locked down as democrats or republicans thinking these guys kind of scare me we're talking about like you know rejecting elections taking away rights and kind of like that i don't want to do that and that really uh you not know, you know it's hard to say did they win the election because they took the house but certainly is very is it was, it was it was very disappointing and um this Johnson guy is someone who definitely plays to that image, right? You're going to have lots of stuff about, you know, biblical Republic and, um, women need to have more babies. And if we let them have abortion, they're not going to have enough babies. And like, at a part of me, probably because I'm not a woman is not as shell-shocked by that as, as, as women are, but, but it's not that I'm not shell-shocked. It's that I just hear it so often. I know that's what these people think, so I'm not that shocked. Uh, but not everybody knows that there are people in Congress who think things like this. These things are very electric and shocking, and the kind of statements that paint a bigger picture of wow, you're weird. Like not just I'm offended by that, but like I didn't even know there like that you're thinking that. And you know, or someone with so much power is is is, is saying that, um, and those kind of things are the are the sorts of statements that get people who are only kind of very loosely connected to politics and thinking like, you know, what I'm voting because that is such bullshit. I I cannot abide that, and that's sort of what happened in in um, in 2022, and it could be part of the story of what happens in 2024. I mean, Kevin McCarthy was never a a poster boy for like election denial or abortion bans, he'd have passed them. But you kind of knew he's Big Kev, you know. And certainly everybody up on Capitol Hill knows the. I don't even get into it. He's Big Kev. He's a he's a you know he's a he's a a, a, a hail fellow well met. Everybody likes him, right? He's not talking about like stuff about abortion. He wants to party. He wants to raise money. And so this guy is he just fits the story much better and we'll kind of see how that plays out.
0: Right, which I think is such a instructive you know example because McCarthy's biggest appeal was that he was nice and that people thought he was affable. Yeah. Same thing as Johnson, Sands McCarthy's fundraising abilities, you know, so and it, I mean, it shows you that affability can only get you so far when these are the the dynamics of trying to govern this party, um, you know. And I, I also caught up yesterday with uh, Suzanne Del Bene, who's the current chair of the DCCC, um, you know, the the Democratic organ that's in charge of winning back the House majority and you know, I was chatting with her about how the speakership election, she thinks, will affect the race and specifically the races of these very vulnerable House Republicans, mostly from New York. And, you know, she was it's just so obvious what the message is going to be. You know, she was saying there are no moderate Republicans anymore. These people fashion themselves as moderates. And then they vote for a guy who is an election denier, an anti-abortion crusader, who who opposes gay marriage, you know, who was part of the Lawrence v. Texas case on the wrong side. I mean, and that's what, 48 hours into all of us becoming aware of who this guy is. I mean, it's Jim Jordan with a jacket on.
1: Yeah. I mean, and I would say there's one. There's another thing about affability. There are different kinds of affability. The thing, what I what I've seen of Johnson in the last few days, what I heard in that um, in that when I was listening to those podcast episodes, there's no anger in the voice. Very smooth, very very well spoken. Um, he would, uh, you know, he'd hold the door for you if he's going out and you're behind him. He's not going to let it slam on you. He's a, he's affable that way. McCarthy's a different kind of affability, right? And 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 an affability that I think serves different political purposes. You see Kevin McCarthy and Democrats are saying they want to ban abortion, they want to do this, do that. You see Kevin McCarthy you're like, "You know what? That dude wants to party." I can see it. He'll pay, he'll vote for it, but his heart's not in it. That's affable kind of like, you know, I'd have a pizza with Kevin. Have a beer with Kevin. He's, you know, he's a good guy. Um, it, good guy, right? <laughs> in, in, in kind of guy talk. But with this Johnson guy, there's a different kind of affability. It's not being a Ken, a a a, um, a a Jim Jordan asshole, but is is you, you know when I was listening to the the the, the podcast episode with um, Mike and Kelly, I think his wife's name's Kelly. When they, when they were they played an interview that Johnson did with like the BBC or something. So they they're getting they're, they're riffing off those questions, and they're getting asked, uh, you know, what about a woman who was raped, or about a woman who doesn't can't afford to to have a baby, and he's like, well, you know, we've got twenty seven hundred. You know they they have these word kind of like you know crisis pregnancy support hospital love zones you know all these kind of things where you know we got a we got a handmaid's tale uh place you can you can chill for a few months uh, you know just just it's it's very calm but it's also very ominous and and I do think that is the challenge that they face right now that again you look at Kevin. He wants to raise money and he wants to party. And that is that reassures a lot of people. He's, he leads the party of crazies, but he's not crazy himself. This Mike Johnson guy seems like a different thing.
0: Right. So we want to wrap up with like one other kind of recent news development that, that might have gotten a little lost amid the chaos of these past few weeks. But that is the other way that Republicans – might maintain their House majority, which is uh, not through elections or democracy at all, but through manipulating the maps to make it impossible for them ever to lose, no matter what the voters say. And we're seeing that really encapsulated in North Carolina right now, enabled by a newly super conservative state Supreme Court, which is unlikely to toss out a map like its previous iteration did, And based on the maps that they produced yesterday with the asterisks that this will almost certainly, you know, have legal challenges. And we did have that surprise decision from the Supreme Court last summer, um, knocking down the Alabama maps. But what's been produced would result in three to four almost certain Republican flips, which when we're talking about a margin of four or five seats now, I mean, that's a huge boon. And Democrats tend not to have these kind of. Honey pots that they can keep going back to and, and eking more seats out of those. So that's going to be one to really keep a close eye on, um, especially while we're having all this wrangling happen, especially in Southern states that are, I think at some point going to have to draw an additional seat, you know, like in Louisiana and Georgia, maybe Tennessee, but they're fighting tooth and nail to not have to do it. And that's the reason, right? Because a lot of the 2024 elections is going to play out before anybody casts a vote. So, you know, good states to keep an eye on as we get closer.
1: Got it. Got it. So with 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 Johnson, we talked about, you know, kind of the November 17th glide path. But what's like the rest of this today and tomorrow in the beginning is 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 a Ukraine, Israel vote? Because I I think Biden has basically sent his proposed bill up there. Is that something is that going to happen in the next four or five days? Do we have visibility into that?
0: Yeah. I would expect that to come before November 17th because this whole week when Republicans have kind of grasped for something to Exhibit the urgency of the situation. It's been Israel, so you know. Yesterday, right after they they got Johnson into the speakership, they voted on you know, I mean, a resolution. So kind of who cares? But a resolution, you know, condemning Hamas and supporting Israel. So that that's the front of mind thing that I think will probably have pressure to move. And it was like four twenty to, the- to
1: ten or something, right? The resolution. Oh, exactly. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Okay. Well, we'll, we'll be back to this, uh, train wreck next week, I guess. And, and hopefully just to, our, just to, um, we, we so appreciate all of our listeners to the podcast. Uh, you know, if you haven't rated us on iTunes and all that kind of stuff, please do that. R- leave comments and everything. The last two episodes we've had to delay, uh, we, we should be back to our regular Wednesday lock-in time. This has really all been about that Kate is, is one of our two Capitol Hill reporters and. Since everything has been so out of control on Capitol Hill, it's just been difficult for us to keep to the normal schedule because either kate is up there or she's just come back from there and she's crashing on a story or we're trying to say oh okay you know we're gonna we're we're back to recording at noon but then we say wait a second we have no idea what's happening on capitol hill today so we're just you know everything is up in the air so we apologize for uh the schedule bouncing around a bit but we should be back to the normal schedule going forward and that is about it
0: yeah okay so we'll see you next week later folks